Good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning we are going to concentrate our study in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to be talking about an occurrence in the life of Jesus that begins in verse 11 of Luke 7. And we'll start out with just a couple of verses, uh, verses 11 and 12, that will get us started and set the context of what we're going to look at. Luke 7, 11 through 12 says, Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Do you see what Luke sets up here? There are two crowds, and they are very different crowds, and they meet each other at the gate of this little city called Nain. One crowd's going in, the other crowd is going out. One is celebrating a great discovery and the other is grieving a great loss. One has come to know the source of true life. The other is confronted with the tragedy of death. Both will witness an amazing turn of events. Let's continue reading in, uh, starting in verse 13. When Jesus, uh, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Don't you just love this Bible story? Uh, can you imagine what it would be like if that happened today? Maybe a long funeral procession out there on Springer Road. Somebody has died and all of a sudden they stop the hearse and they open the back and they pull out the casket, open the, the lid and raise this person from the dead. And these people are all, all gathered around to witness that. Uh, what, what do you think the response would be? Um, do you think they'd be in the Lawrence County Advocate? I think they'd be on national news. I think this would go all over the world. The miracle here is great, though. It's great. But the important thing may not be the miracle. The important thing, perhaps, is what the miracle says about Jesus, what it says about our Savior. It's Jesus that's important here. When you really pay attention to Jesus and focus on him, the story starts making maybe a little more sense. It does to me anyway. And, and there are some things here that we need to start thinking about today. There are three things that I want to look at as we study the story of the widow's dead son. Three lessons about Jesus that I think that Luke wanted, wanted us to know. Let's take the three lessons from three pieces of the story, starting with the tragedy. When we talk about that, I want us to especially concentrate on verse 12. In this one little brief verse, there is so much information packed in here. It's just, it just spells out this terrible tragedy that's happened to this woman and that takes center stage in the story. And first of all, we know it's a tragedy because there has been a death. Second, the second crowd 
It's a funeral procession. A man has died and he's being carried out to the cemetery to be buried. And in all likelihood, the man has just died. The young man has just died, perhaps that very day. Their funeral rituals were very different from our own. And here it may be several days after a person dies that uh, there's a funeral service. But at that time, when a person died, often they buried them the very same day. We should appreciate that this funeral procession was probably only a few hours after this young man's death. These folks at the, uh, are just now processing what has happened to this loved one. And just think about the raw emotion at this, that they're having at this moment. They didn't even have time to get their minds around it yet. He's just died in all likelihood. And I think most of us in this crowd understand that. I suspect that there isn't a person here that has not been touched by grief and sadness that goes with death. And if you haven't, you will. When we, lose, when we lose our loved ones, it's a terrible tragedy. But that's not all that verse 12 tells us. It's not just a death that has occurred, but a son has died and his mother is taking him for burial. And in all likelihood, she is up front in, in this procession. And my, in my mind's eye, I see Jesus in the front of his procession with his crowd following him. And the two meet up. And I suspect this is the way it, it's happened, but it isn't supposed to happen that way. Children are supposed to bury their parents, not the other way around. And when it happens the other way, it's a special tragedy. When I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I don't remember, a brother of one of my friends was killed in an automobile accident. It's a terrible accident. And I'm sure there's some of you here who might remember that. His name was Andy White. His parents owned White's department store on the square at the time. And I remember going to the funeral and going to the cemetery. And I remember Mr. White hugging all of us that were friends of John or Andy or, or their sister, and, and he wouldn't let go, and he was crying. And I remember the Whites leaving the cemetery, leaving their son buried, and it's just a, it's a horrific circumstance. Even after so many years, I can still see that awful scene in my mind's eye. And so that's what has happened here. A son has died, a mother is burying her son but we're not done because verse 12 doesn't just say that the mother is bearing her son, but it's her only son. In fact, the language literally says that it's her only begotten son. There were no other children, only this one. And now he's gone. Now there, there's implication for older people when all the children are gone, right? Even in our culture, there is some expectation that as we age, our children will provide some measure of care and protection as we get into our older years. But not for this lady. Her only son has died. But it's even worse than that because we're told that she's a widow. This was not her first journey to the cemetery. She has traveled this awful road before. The first time was to bury her husband except on that occasion she could take some comfort because side by side with her was her son. But now, in this walk, she is alone. And we have to appreciate, for a widow, losing her only child, there were implications that extended beyond just the loss of family. 
There was no welfare or social security or federal aid at that time. There's nobody left to provide for her. She would be dependent on the charity of extended family if they existed or from the community. So on this day, just hours from the time that her last surviving protector and caregiver has died, she's walking out to the cemetery, not knowing how she's gonna care for herself anymore. Did I tell you verse 12 had a lot in it? I mean, in these few words that Luke spells out for us, can there be a worse tragedy for this woman? Luke records an awful, heartbreaking scene. And verse 13 will continue. It says, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And when you look carefully at that story, you may have a problem with going from verse 12 to verse 13 because when it says that the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her. Our first question is, you know, how does he know? How does he know about the tragedy? There's information, information missing between verses, 11, verses 12 and 13. So did Jesus come up to the woman and, and ask what's happening and get the story? You know, I guess it could have been that way. We just don't have that information recorded. Or maybe he just knew because John 2 tells us that Jesus knows what's in every man. Maybe as he's walking up and sees this tragic scene, he looks and, into her heart and he knows every detail of what has happened. And don't you wonder about that? But scripture isn't written to satisfy all of our curiosity. The important thing is not how he came to know, but the important thing is that he does know and he does care. Verse 13 says that when he saw her, he felt compassion for her. You know, we can speed right past that and miss what an important statement that was. Uh, commenting on this text, William Barclay says that Jesus was moved to the depths of his heart and as that there was no stronger word in the Greek language for sympathy and compassion. And again and again in the gospel story, it's used for Jesus. So don't get the picture that Jesus just sort of passes this funeral procession and thinks, well, that's a really sad thing that's happened. The opposite is true. Jesus knows this woman's heart. He knows what's in her. He knows the depths of her grief, and he feels that grief, and he's touched by her circumstance. That's what the text is telling us. You know, back in the day growing up, we used to sing a song, and you probably did too, if you were raised on sacred selections or songs of the church hymnals. And I appreciate James for leading it this morning. Does Jesus care? Do y'all remember that song? It says, does Jesus care when my heart is pained, when my way is dark, when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? You know, why would anybody write a song like that? It's because we ask that question. And in our times of grief and, and of sorrow and loss, sometimes we wonder, does he care? And you know what the chorus of the song says. A lot of us can sing it by memory. The chorus says, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. But how do I know that? <clears throat> Luke 7, verse 13, at the gate of the village of Nain, 
That issue was settled forever. Yes, he cares. It's an amazing miracle that's about to take place. But there are some lessons here about Jesus that are bigger than the miracle. One of those lessons is that Jesus cares about you. And he cares about me. Now let's move beyond the tragedy and let's look at see what the Lord is about to do. Let's look at the miracle. Picking up in verse 13, it says, When he saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Jesus goes up to this grieving widow who has suffered one of life's greatest tragedies and says, Don't cry. And the next thing he does, he goes over up, goes over to where the body is laid, and he looks at the body and he says, Get up. If you go to a funeral and you start telling people not to cry, you'll probably get some unpleasant stares from friends and family. But if you walk over to a casket and start telling that body to get up, well, they're probably going to escort you out of there. That's crazy behavior, right? I say that because I want us to think about these two crowds and how the words of Jesus sounded to them. <coughs> we can process that, you know, we can process that because we know what's coming. They didn't. Not even his own disciples could have anticipated what was about to happen, and certainly not the people in that funeral procession. And so Jesus is coming up, and he says, don't cry. And by the way, uh, get up. And they're thinking, you know, who is this guy? They're, they're about to find out. We've talked about this in a, in a, a lesson before. Heaven's perspective is far different than earth's perspective and Jesus said those things because he knows what he's about to do with his command verse 15 tells us what he's about to do the young man sits up and begins to speak <clears throat> I think the reason the Holy Spirit notes those two things is because they are unmistakably signs of life Jesus just raised the boy from the dead and gave him back to his mother it was an amazing act of compassion. And so much more than that. Let's go to another text real quick over to John chapter 10. John 10, starting in verse 37, Jesus said, if I, do, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Look, Jesus recognized, Jesus understood that divine claims require divine proof. And he was willing to lay it on the line and say to these people, if I can't verify my proof, if I cannot verify and prove that my claims are true with appropriate evidence, don't believe me. But if I do the works of the Father, then you need to believe. That's what's happening right here in the city of Nain in front of these two huge crowds. Jesus did something that men cannot do and only God can do. And we understand that death is final. Uh, that's what made this a tragedy. The boy is not coming back. You don't come back from the dead until God intervenes. And that's what Jesus did. He raised him from the dead 
he did the works of the Father, proving that he had divine power and proving that his claims were true. So what does the miracle mean for you and me? What's the lesson for us? The lesson is because he did the works of the Father, we should believe him. We should accept his claims. He is the Lord. He is God from heaven. He is the Savior. And how do I know that's true? Because in front of great crowds like this, who gave us written testimony, he did amazing works that only God could do. Which brings us to the third part of the story. And that's the response of those who were there, those who were present. We're going to pick that up in verse 16. And let me say, there's a lot of information given to us here by Luke, one step after another, how people responded. And I think, uh, and before we look at this, I think when you look at it, it's chronological. I think he records the people's responses as they happened. So what's the first thing he said? Verse 16, he said, fear gripped them all. Yeah, I get that. Don't you? They had just witnessed an amazing demonstration of power. Who would not be intimidated or even frightened by that? And this is the first emotional response. I wonder about those guys who were carrying out the body, you know, and who, when the procession was halted, they were probably still right there by the body. And I think when that guy set up, I think they jumped back. I think they were scared. And I think I would be too. I bet it freaked them out along with everybody else. What have we just seen? And then their mind starts working, and this just makes sense chronologically to me. First fear, and then the next uh, thing in verse 16, it says they begin to glorify God. You know, now they're putting it together. They had seen a miracle, and it wasn't just a miracle. It was a sign. Another word used in the Bible for a miracle, and it was a sign in the sense that it was saying something. They could see that God was work, at work here, and that's why they're glorifying God. But this miracle served as a sign. It was communicating a message. But what's the message? So now they speak. The third response from the crowd is, a great prophet has risen among us. They first go, on from, go from being gripped with fear to giving glory to God. Now they're looking at the man who worked the miracle and they're starting to draw some conclusions about him. Kind of like Nicodemus in John 2. Uh, remember that? A nighttime meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus. First thing Nicodemus says to him is, we know you have come from God as a teacher. Well, how did he know? He said, for no one could do the signs you do unless God is with him. And that's exactly what's happening to these people. They've seen the sign and they're starting to put it together. A great prophet has risen among us. This is a man that has to be connected to God. Do they have it all figured out yet? Uh, I don't think so, but they're working on it and they're coming. And in the coming of the great prophet, they see a blessing for themselves because the next thing they say is God has visited his people. And we could spend some time on that statement right there. We're not going to, but we could. But this language is full of meaning. This is Old Testament language, and it was used to describe the coming of God to rescue and bless his people. 
Luke has already used it in chapter 1, verse 68, as Zechariah prophesizes about the coming of Jesus and the work of John the Baptist. So with the coming of the prophet, they anticipated that with it, there would come a blessing for the people of God. And they're already seeing the blessing. And so what would they do? Verse 17 says, This report concerning him went out everywhere. I'll tell you exactly what they did. Their response was to go out and tell everybody. You know, wouldn't you, some guy stops a hearse out here in our parking lot and raises a body, we're going to be telling everybody. I'm sure a bunch of us will be out there with our phones recording it and posting it on social media, and you got to see this video. You know, it'll go viral throughout the world. If you saw something like that, wouldn't you just go tell everybody? Their response does not surprise me at all. That's how anyone would react with something so amazing, which makes me wonder, how impressed are we with Jesus? You know, have we put the pieces together? Probably better than the people in this crowd. I don't think they had everything figured out yet. Do we? I mean, we have his book. We can study his life. We can examine his claims. We can read about the miracles that verify those claims. We can study his teaching, and we can know exactly what he expects from us. We can put Old and New Testament side by side and see how the whole story ties together. We have a much better picture than these two crowds did at the gate of the city of Nain, which is why we've come to believe that Jesus is not just a great prophet. He is the great prophet promised in the Old Testament. He is the Son of God and the Savior that came from heaven to earth to rescue us from sin. We believe that He is God in the flesh. Let me ask you a question. How impressed are you with His act of compassion here in our text? I mean, what... He did for this woman, it's, it's an amazing act of compassion. But I will tell you, compared to Calvary, it's nothing. When you think about what he did for us there, making that sacrificial offering that rescues us from sin, it's the ultimate act of compassion. So I wonder how impressed we are with Jesus. If that's what we believe, who are we telling when you think about responses, that's the only response. That's a message that has to be shared. It's the best news ever. It doesn't just impact this life, it impacts eternity. Compared to someone raising a corpse out of the back of a hearse, that's nothing compared to what has happened through Jesus Christ. When people of his day began to figure it out, they told everybody about it. And we're not surprised by that. That's what we automatically think that they would do. It was an appropriate response. But you know what's surprising? And I'm as guilty as anyone, or more guilty. What is more surprising is people who understand that better, having even a higher understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. What is hard to understand is why we don't tell anybody. That doesn't make any sense. And it's not an appropriate response. If we really believe all these things about Jesus, well, we need to go tell somebody. 
Two crowds met that day at the city of Nain. One going to the cemetery and the other following Jesus. And I'm going to make a, an assumption here that the crowd headed to the cemetery uh, barely made it past the gate. I don't think any of them went on to the cemetery. I think what happened after that was two crowds became one. And those who were mourning the death of this son joined the crowd of the celebrators who had found the true source of life. And like them, we have to make a choice about the crowd we'll be a part of, that we choose to be a part of. What's our choice? There are still two crowds, still two crowds. There's a crowd following the long, broad road that's going to death, and then there's a smaller crowd following this narrow path that's leading to a life forever with God. And there might be, there might be somebody here this morning standing there at the gate of Nain, and you've had your moment with Jesus, and you know who he is, and you know what he's done, and you know what he expects from you, and now you've got to decide. You can't imagine anybody after this episode going on to the cemetery. So how could anybody sit in this audience or an audience like this and stay on the road to death after what we've seen in Jesus? You know, there are two crowds. We've got to make the choice to be in the right crowd. 